Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, October 11th. It is crazy to say this fact out loud, but there's only about one month left in this 2022 pro tennis season. Now, there are still plenty of events left on the calendar. We will have oh so many topics to discuss over the course of the next month, whether it be the chase for the year-end championships. We've got 1,000 level events in Guadalajara for the women in Paris for the men. We've got countless players trying to position themselves properly for the 2023 pro tennis season. As such, we're still going to be rocking and rolling here on this show over the course of the next month. I'm also getting excited for the 2022 offseason. I've already started circling some names I want to key in on players who I think 2023 may be a make or break year for players who I think are maybe the most fascinating as we look at the next decade in the pro tennis world. There's a lot to be excited about still as a tennis fan. And of course, as you look at the calendar this week, we've got four more outstanding events. Of course, the coup de gras on the schedule, dare I say, is the WTA 500 event happening in San Diego. Here's the list of top 30 players competing this week at that 500 event. You've got Iga Swiatek flying directly from Ostrava. Let's try that sentence again in English. Flying directly from Ostrava over to San Diego, the top seed here this week. You've got Sabalenka. Sakari already eliminated, though she did play the event. You have Jessica Pagula, Coco Goff, Paula Bedosa. So right off the bat, six of the top 10 players in the live rankings all competing this week. Of course, you've also got Kasakina, Muguruza, Madison Keys, Danielle Collins, Karolina Pliskova, Martina Trevisan as well. Yes, Elena Rabakina, Veronica Kudermatova pulled out of the event, but again, double-digit numbers of top 30 players competing in the second week of October. File that under things you love to see as a tennis fan, and I alluded to this fact over on our GSP Ace of the Day show, but due to the fact that I still am in Los Angeles for one more week, shout out to my dear friends at Tennis Channel, Michael Haston, the entire production team, whether it be Carlos, whether it be Sarah, whether it be our producers Griffin or Brett Connors, whomever it is I've had the app, Ben Tom, gotta give a shout out to him. A massive thank you to the entire Tennis Channel team for tolerating my nonsense for three straight weeks. It's been such an opportunity to have the chance to call the highest level pro tennis matches that are happening every day on the schedule. All of that is to say, yeah, I know, I worked in a humble brag there. Again, a massive thank you to them. Uh, but all that is to say, Timing-wise, it gets a little bit tricky for me to preview all the action in San Diego. And, of course, that Great Shot podcast 
daily episode is a preview of each and every day's action in the pro tennis world. If you haven't already, I highly recommend giving those episodes a listen. You can find that Great Shot podcast feed on our website or wherever you listen to your podcast. That said, because I can't discuss it as much on the Great Shot podcast feed, I'm going to lead every show this week here on the mini break with a WTA San Diego update breakdown as it is the go-to event, arguably, and I know I said this about Ostrava last week, but arguably the strongest draw we have seen during this 2022 season. And I think so many top 30 players competing speaks to how open not only the chase for the championships is on the women's side, but how open that top 30 rankings is right now in the women's game. The margin so thin between the player ranked 30th and the player ranked 20th. One good week at one of these big events and you can take a massive jump and position yourself that much better for the 2023 season. As such, again, Exciting week of action. Not only do you have that WTA 500, you've got the action at in uh, Cluj-Napoca, excuse me, over Cluj-Napoca, excuse me. Again, not a lot of sleep. It, we're operating, I think, at our finest. Honestly, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching all of these matches. And yeah, I watch the tennis every day. I think that's a necessity to do this job, but to be able to call some of the action and to be able to jump around the globe and you know have just a better feel for these matches as they unfold, as opposed to going back and watching replays, uh, it's been delightful. And I think it makes me a better podcaster, certainly each and every day. That said, it certainly may cause my brain to wander from time to time, as sleep has been on the back burner, we'll say, at least a little bit over these past three weeks. Again, Cluj-Napoca, home to the WTA 250 in Romania. Yes, top seed Barbara Krachikova pulled out of that event. Emma Raducanu pulling out of that event as well. And just quickly before I forget, I saw the partnership. Dimitri Turnsenov, Emma Raducanu go their separate ways. Emma Raducanu going to work with former Andy Murray specialist Jez Green. I mean, given the physical gifts Raducanu already possesses to start working with the coach who maybe is the best at extracting every ounce of physicality out of his charge, that is a fascinating pairing moving forward and something I want to discuss with a bigger brain than myself. And so uh, we'll save that topic, put it on the back burner. That feels like a perfect off-season conversation. That said, still a really fun draw, whether it was Angelina Kalanina, uh, who earned an impressive victory today. Very fun first set. Ultimately, unfortunately, Jeannie Bouchard forced to retire, but we can talk about that. We can talk about Potapova, all these different players who are Wang Shiyu. Oh my God, was the 21-year-old lefty out of China hitting the crap out of the ball in her first round victory today. A lot of fun matches already unfolding. Lots to discuss from the first two days, of course, over on the men's side. We've got two 250 events, but two very strong draws, in my opinion. As you look over in Florence, top seed FAA, still very much alive in the chase for the championships. Matteo Berrettini, who's your number two seed, it would be a little tougher for him to find a way to sneak in into the year-end finals. That said, Berrettini, who was injured for so much of the season this year, just trying to reestablish himself in the top 10 moving forward. And certainly we all think, I think he's a top 10 player, but Berrettini's ranked 16th right now. So he's got some work to do to the end of the year. It's not going to be a shock to see him play in indoor hard, uh, in these indoor hard court events. Although always worth remembering in two out of three hard court matches, uh, two out of three set hard court matches at the ATP level, I believe Berrettini's slightly under 500 for his career. So that's certainly a fun storyline to monitor in Florence. Then, you know, Americans, Cressy, Wolf, Nakashima, all in action. Brandon Nakashima has 
quietly been exceptional. See how I'm just rapid firing through a bunch of takes. I wish or I apologize for the lack of organization here to start today's show. I will also say and perhaps some of you listeners have already been able to identify this fact. We have a bit of a change in the schedule. Unfortunately, our guy, Nate Walrath, is a little bit busy today at Tennis Point. He's going to be joining me tomorrow for the more broad look at this week's action where we talk about our favorite storylines, offer predictions. Those Tennis Point Tuesday episodes get better and better with every rep that Nate and I get under our belt. So very much looking forward to recording that tomorrow. This is the rapid fire version of that, I suppose, to start today's show. Just to look again at all of these events because not only do you have Florence, you have the event in Guillaume, Spain. I thought Marcos Giron was excellent today in a three-set win over Albert Ramos. Vino loss, of course, his victory Sets up a matchup with Dominic Team, who said in his press conference he thought he played his best tennis in his first round victory over Jao Sosa. Uh, so that's certainly a fascinating round two matchup. Players like Sorrendolo, Tommy Paul, Andre Rublev, Pablo Carreño Busta, all in action as such. Again, full circle now. It's going to be a fun week on the ATP and WTA tours. And my focus here on today's show going to be breaking down the first two days of action. Who has impressed me most thus far through the round one play? Of course, before we get into that, a shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. That promo code is CR15. Not only will let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com for all of your tennis equipment needs. With that said, as promised, let's start with the WTA event in San Diego. Already went through how jam-packed the draw is. We've already seen that draw uh, play out in round one action that has certainly delivered. I think the match I have to start with was the three-set thriller. Bianca Andreescu, 7-6, 4-6, 6-2 over Ludmilla Samsonova. Now, I did preview this match on the GSP Ace of the Day on Monday. I guaranteed a three-setter. Guaranteed. Now, did I make it an Ace of the Day? No. I should have. I wimped out guaranteed this was going to be a three-setter because it's always just worth remembering, A, Bianca Andreescu's only 22 years old. You know, we're three years removed from her winning that U.S. Open title, and in the three years since, she's turned 19, 20, you know, 21, or excuse me, 20, 21, and 22. You know, that's nothing in the growth curve of a WTA player. We just saw Serena Williams play extraordinary tennis till 39, 40 years old. And I'm not saying Andrescu is going to do that. I'm saying she certainly has at least a decade more of pro tennis, assuming she can keep her body healthy. And that's a massive assumption to make because, of course, these past two years have been defined by a lack of Bianca Andrescu on court due to various health issues that have emerged. That said, you look for Andrescu this season— She's 17 and 10 overall this season. It's not quite the two-thirds rule, but she is winning 63% of her matches. I would say more pressingly, there's not a bad loss on Andrescu's resume this season, at least superficially. I've talked about this with David Gertler before her three-set loss to Karolina Pliskova in Berlin. That was a bad loss. That said, you know, again, Pliskova on grass courts. When Andrescu has played so few grass court matches in her lifetime, big picture, that is not a bad loss. But here's who the losses are to. Three sets, Sabalenka. Five and one, Pagula. Six and oh, Sviantec. And that first set in their Rome quarterfinal was absolutely outstanding. 
two and four Benchich. Uh, second round Roland Garros. She played a three-setter against Bonaventure in round one and, you know, again, was still getting her legs under her. Now, I'm not making excuses. I suppose that's not a great loss to Benchich, but to lose to the 14 seed in the second round of a slam, that's not a bad loss either. So we'll throw that in the neutral category. I have already shared my thoughts on that Pliskova round of 16 loss in Berlin. Three-set loss to Garcia in the Bad Hamburg final, not a bad loss. Four and six lost to Rabakana at Wimbledon. How'd Rabakana do at this year's Wimbledon? Oh, yeah, she won the event. Not a bad loss. Four and two lost to Shelby Rogers in San Jose. Not a great loss, but Shelby made that final, uh, made the final that week and served lights out all week long. And if you actually watch the matches, as I make it again, a point to do here at Cracked Rackets, that is absolutely not a bad loss uh, for Bianca Andreescu. Now, it's not a good loss, but I would put it in the neutral category. Toronto, three-set win over Cornet, straight-set win over Kasakina, three-set loss to Junction Wen. Not a bad loss. Like, it wasn't a great loss, but it's not a bad loss. You know, wins over Haddad Maya Tan before bowing out 3-2 and two to Caroline Garcia, who obviously was the maybe one of the three, if not better than that, best players of the North American hardcourt summer. You know, the point is, and I didn't talk about her wins that frequently because her wins haven't been that great. Couple over Kasakina, you know, a win over Haddad Maya, a win over Collins, now this win over Samsonova. It hasn't been an exceptional season for Bianca Andreescu, but considering how much time she missed, given the injuries she's sustained over the course of the past two and a half seasons, I thought it was a pretty good year for someone who, again, turned 22 years old in the middle of June. I think she showed you have to be an elite player to beat Bianca Andreescu. And even then, again, in her 10 total losses, she lost, uh, I believe it's one, two, three, four, five. It's either four or five of those 10 losses were three set losses. You know, the 7-6-6 love match to Iga Sviantek. I think she loses that match at three sets, even if she steals the first set. But that first set was she played Iga even on clay, and only two people can say that for uh, – she played Iga even for a set, excuse me, on clay, and only her and Jung Chin Wen can really say that during this 2022 season. It's just because Andrescu has it all. Like, no one has ever denied the talent of Bianca Andrescu. I mean, for God's sake, she's a Grand Slam champion. She has elite power. She has an elite first step. She's an excellent at anticipating. She's excellent at taking that ball early on the rise, beating you to the spot. She has plus firepower off both the forehand, backhand wing. She's comfortable hitting the swinging volley. Not the greatest volleyer, but knows where to go, what to do, win at the net. And again, has a main character energy about that. And what do I mean by that? She's never intimidated by the stage. When Bianca Andreescu walks out on the court, she believes she is better than every opponent that she faces. And I know that's a superficial thing. You can't measure that. I think, you know, you can ask a lot of players, do you think you're the best player in the world? And they may answer that question, yes, I do. But, but you know, when they walk out on the court, maybe they think, oh man, like, how am I going to beat Novak Djokovic? He is really the guy. And I know it's a different framework because... Novak, Rafa, those guys have proven to be the guys. They have proven to be better than anyone else. And you can understand why some people would be a little hopeless going into those matches. The point is, that's never the case for Bianca Andreescu. She walks out on the court and she says, yeah, that's cute, Ludmilla Samsonova. You've had some success here in the fall. And yeah, you hit a big ball, but so do I. 
and I'm a Grand Slam champion, and I'm Bianca freaking Andrescu. And, you know, again, for Andrescu to ultimately take a 7-6-4-6-6-2 victory, she uh, is broken four times throughout the course of the match, but manages, you know, she goes, I believe, what, uh, she's broken, Samsonova, four of nine on breakpoint chances. Andrescu created 15 breakpoint chances for herself against Samsonova. For reference, Samsonova is number two in hold percentage during this 2022 season and had been on a run of winning uh, 30 of winning 34 of her last 36 sets or not 34 of her last 36. No, 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 it was. Uh, no, 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 because she had the other loss. So it was what? Oh, 34 of her last 38 sets, I believe, coming into today's match. And Andrescu wasn't intimidated. Andrescu kept swinging. Andrescu took the returns early on the rise, didn't let that kick serve of Samsonova get above her head or, you know, didn't cede so much ground on the baseline on the return that Samsonova just had these easy runways to attack with her overwhelming pace and her massive ground strokes. Andrescu took time away from Samsonova. Andrescu didn't serve exceptionally, but you know she did win two-thirds of her first serve points, over 50% of her second serve points. And again, she, in, she sustained that level for two and a half hours. She was the fitter player down the home stretch of the match, particularly in the third, where it felt like at the end, Samsonova's legs gave out just ever so slightly. And Considering Andrescu's played only 27 matches this year and has dealt with various different injuries throughout the course of the year, the fact that she was that fit in this moment, it speaks to the fact that when she is healthy and when she's able to have a proper training block, she still flashes that ability to play elite tennis, not good tennis, not great tennis, elite, doesn't matter what you're doing, I'm, we're playing on my terms and I'm better than you sort of tennis. And it's not quite Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club because she doesn't overwhelm you with the first serve. She doesn't overwhelm you with her first strike the way some of, you know, the players in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club do. That says she does have elite power, but it's an elite power combined with an exceptional feel. She does get outside the ball extraordinarily well, create angles cross court. She's comfortable playing the slice, playing the drop shot again. She is comfortable to some extent moving forward as well. We're going to do a whole off-season podcast on Bianca Andreescu. Spoiler alert to what I was alluding to earlier because I think she is one of the X factors. I still think she's one of the players where if you're making lists, you know, you're trying to make your tier two, who are the players who are always, if not title contenders, on the short list of, well, you know, if they'll probably be in the second week or if they get hot, anything is possible. That's tier two for Bianca. If she's healthy and gets hot, again, on the right day, she can compete with absolutely anyone. And as we saw in San Diego, when she's particularly fit, she really can't beat anyone, even someone as in form as Ludmilla Samsonova. So credit to Bianca Andreescu. She's my performer of the first two days at any of the four events happening at the tour level this week. Of course, again, Andreescu, though, not the only impressive name, not the only impressive victory in San Diego thus far. The big upset, Ali Risk. Takes a first set, 6-1, was up big on Luisa Chirico, and yet the qualifier and former top American women's junior has just dealt with so many different injuries throughout the course of her career. She earns a, a remarkable 1-6-7-5-7-6 victory. Of course, Chirico came as a wild card through qualifying, got a really nice win over Ashlyn Kruger in final round of qualifying. Of course, Kruger 
I think 18, if not 19 years old now, former number one American junior, won the USTA Girls National Championships, got a wild card into the U.S. Open that year, etc. Uh, that's a really good win for Chirico over uh, over Kruger in the final round of qualifying, and then obviously to get the victory uh, to come from behind over Ali Risk. She'll take the points happily that come with it, and you look for Chirico now back up to number 154. Despite all the injuries, Still only 26 years old. And again, 154 in the live rankings. You're getting into slam qualities now. You can play 125K events, probably get into qualifying at some 250 level events as well. Louisa Chirico, welcome back to the ball game. That's a really feel-good story, one we can explore more perhaps later on in the week. Uh, you look at some of the other victories. Danielle Collins, very impressive, 6-2-7-6 win over Caroline Garcia. Look, Collins just hasn't been that healthy this year, but when she has been healthy, we saw what she did in Australia to start the season. It certainly felt like there was a moment where, all right, if Danielle Collins beats Arena Sapolenka at this U.S. Open, is she the player most likely to beat Iga? Because you looked for how she beat Osaka in round one, how she beat Cornet in round three, the first set she played against Sapolenka in their fourth round battle. Again, win healthy. Danielle Collins has played the best tennis of her career, in my opinion, this season. She is one of the... If you expanded things to top 26 and not top 25 in hold and break percentage, Danielle Collins is 26th in hold percentage uh, and I think top 15 in... Or no, no, 26th in break percentage. She's also holding 71% of the time. She's been rock solid off both wings, doing everything pretty well. Again, if healthy, uh, I think she'd be a top 10 player. And what's even more remarkable is despite... You know, playing so few matches here this season. You look for Danielle Collins overall in 2022, 16-9 on the year. Again, she's been really banged up here this season. Yet despite all that, always helps to make a slam final. Danielle Collins 15th in the points race. She's you know currently tra- trailing 8th place Veronica Kudermatova by about 450 points. Uh, excuse me, 550 points, which is a ton to make up. But she's still kind of in the mix, which... Again, speaks to a lot of different things about the WTA Tour this season, but speaks to the fact that when Danielle Collins has been healthy and on court, she's been pretty darn good uh, as the 28-year-old here this year. You look at, again, some of the other results thus far, just to complete this San Diego recap. Uh, I thought it was a really nice win for Carolina Pliskova. Just kind of did her thing, 3-4 and four over Caroline Dalahide. Sonia Kennan's getting closer, but just didn't have answers to the relentless serve first strike aggression of Coco Vandeweghe. Vandeweghe, a 6-1-1-6-6-4 victory uh, over Sophia Kennan. And then the last one we got to talk about is Maria Sakkari. Now, this is not to take anything away from Donna Vekic, who capitalized on Maria Sakkari's indecision, who was the more powerful player from the baseline throughout the course of this match. And then in set number two, just continued to pressure Sakari and forced her to have to hit balls on the run or forced her to have to hit a ball that was hit deep at her feet in the center of the court. Sakari just continued to be searching for answers. And for someone who reached a WTA final just two weeks ago, again, it's just... Sakri has not played good ball really since the end of Wimbledon. You look for Sakri overall now. She's five and six since the end of Wimbledon. Five, excuse me, six and six since the end of Wimbledon. Six and six. This is the you know ostensibly someone. I mean, not even ostensibly. This is someone who entered the week as or is currently sitting at number five in the live rankings. This is someone who, despite that, is sitting in ninth right now in the points race. And yet Maria Sakri, I mean has played 500 ball 
since the start of this second hard court stretch and even dating that back before that you look for Sakari as you know she made a semifinal in June in Berlin but you know struggled in Rome or struggled during the clay court season just one quarter final for her that came in Rome and Yes, made Berlin semifinals, Nottingham quarterfinals, but then gets knocked out by, of all people, Tatiana Maria in the third round of Wimbledon. A loss to the talented and big-hitting Wang Shiyu in three sets in the second round of the U.S. Open in a year where things were wide open for Maria Sakari to make that secondary leap and, you know, perhaps assert herself as Own Jabir has done as a multi-time slam finalist and you know, world number two. I think if you ask people who would you have expected at the start of the year to make that sort of jump, have that sort of season, Jabir or Sakari, I think more people would have leaned towards Maria Sakari, particularly after her hot start to the season. And yet, you look for Sakari, she's holding at a career high, 75.2% of the time. That said, it's a career low. Make, she's making 57.6% of her first serves. Um, I just think the trade-off has led to her becoming a more erratic player. And perhaps the big number, she's breaking serve 33.3% of the time. That's her lowest number since 2017. And 2017 was her first full season of tour-level play. It's the indecision. It's the fact that she just seems to always be weighing with herself, okay, no, 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 this is a short ball. Now I have to pull the forehand trigger. Or, ooh, I have my opponent on the run. Now I have to try and take a ball on the rise and sneak forward and... You know, again, I just would like to see more reliance on her physicality. I would like her to find easier rhythm early in matches where it feels like she comes out of the gate and she tries to start so hot. It feels like she always forces things through the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of a match. And, you know, again, today I thought she played an okay first set, but the errors really piled up in set number two, and there was just no willingness to, to play the 10, 15 ball rallies that someone with the physicality of Maria Sakari is so perfectly suited to thrive within. I mean, again, it's it, you look for Maria Sakari. Yes, she's top 10 in the points race. Yes, you look for her overall here this season. The record itself on a surface level, 33 and 21, winning 61% of your matches at the highest level events all year long. It's not a bad season for Maria Sakri, but did she take a leap forward this year? Or was there some stagnation? I think the easy argument would be for the latter, that she did stagnate, that not a ton of things improved. And while her first serve win percentage continues to increase, there's just a trade-off. It, there seems to be at least a little bit of a trade-off in that the, in her consistency uh, with that I renewed the wrong word with that seemingly new attempt to try and play a little bit quicker and, you know, can make life a little bit or end points a little bit earlier than perhaps she needs to. Again, the big word is indecisive. It just feels like she's trying to do 20 different things throughout the course of the match. There's no clear-cut definitive. This is plan A. If that breaks down, here's B. And if all else fails, let's break the glass and, you know, just rely on that physicality as the underlying base for all of her success. Again, it's been a tough year for Maria Sakkari. Now, credit to Donna Vekic. That's a massive victory uh, for a Vekic who you look right now in the ranking. She's currently sitting at number 75. That's just uh, obviously uh, a little bit lower than we would have expected the 26-year-old to be after she was ranked so highly, ages 22, 23, 24. And she's dealt with plenty of injuries herself. But again, good win for Vekic. 
I still think this match, if you're asking me, did Vekic win or did Sakari lose? All respect to Donna Vekic, I would say Sakari lost this match. She just was nowhere near her best and just seemed to be constantly searching for solutions that weren't there. You could see the frustration building up on her face, in her body language. Uh, for someone who is so energetic and upbe- upbeats the wrong, but, but so energetic and so frenetic on court, it's just... It's disappointing right now to see her game wander as much as it is. So, uh, you know, that's your round one action that's happened to date uh, so far in San Diego. Of course, still have a bunch of fun matches to be played throughout the course here of Tuesday. And I'm recording this Tuesday afternoon in California. Uh, matches I've yet to see. Jung Chinwen, Muguruza, Montgomery Golf, Kasakina Fernandez, Teichman Stevens. And Teichman obviously replacing Elena Rabakina in the draw. Uh, Jung Chinwen replacing Kuder Matova. I actually switched that. Jung Chinwen replacing Kuder Matova. Uh, or Rabakina, Teichman replacing Kuder Matova. That said, this draw is awesome still. And we've yet to see top seed Iga Sviantek, you know, second seed Bedosa, third seed Sabalenka, fourth seed Jess Pagula. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Iga a 37% chance to win the title. Then, who's second place? Danielle freaking Collins, 12.8%. According to Tennis Abstract, she's second, the 9.6 of Sabalenka, third. That is always fascinating. Shout out to you, Jeff, for working the numbers you, the way you do. That said, we're going to rapid fire through the rest of these. And again, I'm going to spend more time tomorrow with my dear friend, Nate Walworth from Tennis Point, setting the scene with all of the action. You look over in Romania. Here are the three players I'll be watching most closely. Let's start with a matchup that we're going to get perhaps as soon as round number three. Uh, Wang Shiyu and Jewel Niemeyer are players one and two. Wang Shiyu, 21 years old, currently sitting at number 58 in the live rankings. That's a career high. And if you haven't watched the lefty play, holy crap, does she hit the cover off of the ball. Her forehand, it's a big backswing. But the power she generates, Wang Shiyu has just moved into Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club neighborhood. Now, again, not membership, not even golf course privileges. This is like, you know, again, oh, first job. Congrats, Wang Shiyu. You get to work in the clubhouse or we need you for the Friday night dinner shift. And, you know, you're just dipping your feet into this pool. But we have our eyes on you. We think you could be a potential member Do I think she's ever going to win a slam? I don't know if she moves quite well enough. The serve is successful, though it's not in a vacuum massive itself, though she hits her spots well, opens up the forehand well. I do wonder how that forehand would hold up under uh, against – I want to see that forehand hold up more against significant pace. When she has time to crack that forehand, though, she just has non-negotiable sort of weapons. And so, again, hello, Wang Shiyu. You've caught our attention here to end this 2022 season. You're one of the players to watch in the seventh seed, a 3-3 victory over Jacqueline Christian. Uh, You look for Wang Shiyu here this year, 39-24 overall. She's 15-15 in tour-level play, including a semifinal at the City Open, quarterfinals in Granby and Budapest, third round at this year's U.S. Open. Again, beat Diane Perry, Maria Sakkari in three sets before getting knocked out uh, ultimately by Ali Risk in three. She's clearly a lowercase b breakout star of the season and has made a leap, a mini leap, but I still think there's another leap to come because again, you just can't teach that sort of firepower. I love how well she gets outside the ball as well. The angle, the heaviness of that ball generates, she goes after that backhand wing as well. I'm in on Wang Shiyu. 
I'm in on Jewel Nehemiah as well. And Nehemiah is actually more traditional country club style. And by that, I mean, if you've ever attended a country club, there's always this one person who just has the most fluid strokes and everyone looks so nat and looks so natural out on court and everything just comes easy from a contact point perspective. That's Nehemiah. She makes beautiful contact with the ball. Some people are just supposed to have rackets in their hands, and Nehemiah is one of those person. Exceptional feel. Feels like she hits the center of the strings every time. She can generate elite power, forehand, backhand, wing, her ability. If she gets her hands on a ball, she's going to do something fun with it. I think she sets herself up really well, picking her spots on serve. It's not an overwhelming first serve, but it is, I would say, top 10% in terms of its eh, top 10% might be a stretch. Top 15 to 20 in terms of its pace. And for Nehemiah, her weapons went out. Again, she wore down a player in Anna Bogdan, who is one of just nine players throwing top 25 in both hold and break percentage this season. You take that with a grain of salt with Bogdan because so much of her success has come at the 125K or 250 level, not the biggest events in women's tennis. That said, Again, it was Nehemiah's weapons that won out. Nehemiah needs to work on her movement, no doubt, particularly as she's going to play players who hit the ball a little bit bigger. But you look for Nehemiah, again, quarterfinals Wimbledon, follows it up round of 16 U.S. Open. She would be top 50 if Wimbledon offered points. And yet the 23-year-old still inside the top 75 for the first time in her career, 38-20 and 20 overall this season and uh, looking to make now a third tour-level quarterfinal uh, since the start of Wimbledon. You look for Nehemiah next up for her. Uh, she is going to be taking on Camilla Rakimova. That is a very winnable match for the seventh seed Wang Xiu. She's taking on Elena Gabriela Russa, where actually Russa's favorite, 51.9% according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. That said, I will be predicting a Nehemiah Wang Shiyu semifinal, and I have until tomorrow to figure out who of those two, I think, is going to win that matchup. Those are my two interesting players. Most interesting on the top half, although shout out to Diana Yastremska, who from 5-2 down in the third ended an eight-match win streak against Tamara Korpach. <sighs> Bottom half of the draw. I mean, I probably go Potapova. And I know I've talked about her a lot recently, but it's just so fluid. She just is a top 60, if not 50 athlete. 50 would have been a little bit cleaner, but she just has it. Like from a twitchiness standpoint, from a fluidity standpoint, how smooth she is off both ground strokes. Yes, I'd like the serve to get a little bit bigger. I'd like every 21-year-old serve to get a little bit bigger. So, uh, except for Sabalenka's. Hers was big enough at age 21. Um, yeah, I'll go with... I mean, again, Potapova is probably my most interesting player, but Harriet Dart played so well in round one against Ocean Dodan. You look for Dart a 2-0 victory. She was absolutely popping the ball uh, from corner to corner. That's the action happening in Romania. And again, we'll get into it even more tomorrow when we are joined by our dear friend Nate Walrath. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With that said, let's continue our rapid fire and move over to the ATP action now. We'll start in Hyon, uh, where you've had some pretty good tennis. Played a couple of seeds, knocked out. Not sure if either qualifies as an upset. Albert Ramos, Vinolas, 
I think it was like 74 and 123 in his career in ATP level hardcourt matches. So not a guy you'd confuse for an indoor hardcourt specialist. That said, 2014 NCAA singles champion, top 70 guy, Marcos Guerrero. By the way, 12 college guys inside the ATP top 100 singles rankings. 12% of the top 100 use the college pathway. Folks, it works as a pathway to the pros. I don't remember Giron's forehand being this explosive. And by the way, this podcast is the perfect platform to say this. He was sleeveless. Holy crap, as Marcos Giron ripped. Like when the vein pops out of your bicep, you are ripped. He is ripped. His quad hangs over his kneecap. He is ripped. Uh, He also was striking the ball extraordinarily well. Again, popped the forehand down the line and realized after a tentative set, number one, you know what? I'm going down swinging. And that way, at least if I lose this match, I can look myself in the mirror and said, I did what I need to do. I just didn't execute well enough, but he did execute well enough and was up a break actually in all three sets, but ultimately a 4-6-6-4-6-2 victory for Giron. He made his first ATP final in his last event in San Diego after a training week here in California. Uh, Seems to have worked out well as he gets a much needed first-round victories under 500 in first-round matches this year. Yeah, nevertheless, this is his ninth first-round victory of the season, which, again, keeps you alive in that top 75, top 60 conversation, which is where he's floating right now. Dominic team blitzed Jao Sosa, 6-2-6 love. Team struck the ball perfectly, and he, it, and he was moving very, very well. He's one to watch. You know, Tommy Paul... I thought Martin, okay, Martin Ladalus, who was the U.S. Open junior champion this year, 16 years old. Ladalus, oh my God, can he hit the crap out of the ball? Uh, he just wasn't quite ready for Tommy Paul. Didn't have enough options in his arsenal. That said, uh, other than that, nothing too significant has happened thus far. A lot of fun second round. Oh, hopefully Sebastian Baez is okay as he's injured, knocked out by Constant Lestien, who is a top 70 guy right now. And after making five challenger finals, I believe this, I mean, he's this year's Greek Spore, this year's Benjamin Bonsi, has ridden the challenger success, or, you know, has went semifinal San Diego, quarterfinals Tel Aviv, switch that, quarterfinal San Diego, semifinals Tel Aviv, I believe, and now, you know, gets another first round victory after he was up 7-6-4 all before that injury to Sebastian Baez. That's, you know, 30 years old, playing the best tennis of his career. Uh, so that's what's happened thus far in Guillaume for what it's worth top seed Andre Rublev has yet to begin play he's the favorite 21.6% according to tennis abstract then it's 18.7 for PCB 14.4 for Tommy Paul 12.7 for third seeded Roberto Bautista Agu by the way shout out Andy Murray Alejandro Davidovich Fokina went up 3-0 in 15 minutes or 10 minutes they were the best 15 minutes it might not have been 3-0 it might have been 2-1 but the point is the first 10 minutes Davidovich Fokina looked like the very best player in the world. He had this backhand cross-court exchange with Murray in Murray's first service game, which was ultimately a break for Davidovich Fokina. He went three flicks of the wrist, short angle cross-court, then drove the ball exceptionally down the line with just like elite pace and elite placement and played excellent defense as well. And it was just like, oh my God, is he about to beat Murray 0-0? And then things came back to life and Murray did an excellent job of of sticking around long enough and making especially that first set physical enough to where it was very difficult for Davidovich Fokina to be able to sustain that level. That said, again, Andy Murray, 
currently floating just outside the top 50. If he wins a title this week, he gets up to number 35. But more broadly, with this still on the schedule, the ATP 500 in Vienna still on the schedule, one imagines we'll see Murray in the main draw at the 1,000 level in Paris as well. Andy Murray wants to be seated at the 2023 U.S. Open. And with what's still left on the calendar and how little, you know, he's got nothing to defend, uh, it actually does seem like a possibility that that could happen for Andy Murray. And that opens up all sorts of fun opportunities for him come 2023. Uh, That said, that's your action in Guillaume. Last but certainly not least, the action in Florence. Still waiting on a couple of fun matches, whether it be Mackie McDonald versus Jensen Brooksby round one, uh, or top seeds Matteo Berrettini. Felix Ogierali seem to begin their campaigns for what it's worth. Felix, 21% chance of winning. That's second to Matteo Berrettini, who's at 35.3, third percent. Uh, third place, of course, Nakashima, 10-4 to Brooksby's 9-3. Interesting. And that's because Nakashima, I talked about him a ton with Gil Gross yesterday, so I won't repeat myself, but Nakashima was excellent in a 2-2 two and two win over Gasquet in round number one. I know that's a little light on Florence. Shout out to 19-year-old Francesco Maestrelli out of Italy through the first three games. He had a backhand down the line winner to break J.J. Wolf right out of the gates in their first round match. And with how he was slapping the serve, despite the fact that his service toss is truly atrocious. I mean, it's so far to the right. It's disgusting. Um, and yet, takes a 6-4 first set. That's a credit to, to J.J. Wolf, who stayed steady, relentless with his plus one forehand aggression. J.J. Wolf, 4 6 6 2 6 one. He continues to establish himself inside the top 80 or solidify himself. Shout out to Bernabe Zapata Morales as well. Lost to Sinego two weeks ago. Was 0-4 against Sinego going into their round one battle. 4-4 four four victory for Zapata Morales today. And then shout out to another t- Italian teenager, Francesco Passaro, 6-6 six six over the lucky loser, Zhangji Jen. Um, that said, again, more Florence talk tomorrow, more uh, more ATP talk, WTA talk in general. We'll look big picture at this week's storylines with our dear friend Nate Walrith, who will be joining me for a Wednesday edition of Tennis Point Tuesday. Hopefully all of you listeners will join us then. Of course, if you are looking for daily preview content, again, that GSP ace of the day, the place for you. I offer my picks, try to spend at least a minute chatting about every match on the day as well. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he has to do day in, day out, ensuring all of our content gets out. Uh, shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of this show. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, we will be back tomorrow with Nate Walrath to look big picture at this week's events. That said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.